welcome to my super type A attempt at being Zen, the podcast. My name is Risha York, and I will be your host. If you are overworked, overtired, overstretched, overwhelmed, just over it, you are in the right place. We like to say we are currently working towards Zen-ish. I'm thrilled that you've joined us. Let's see who will be supporting us on our path to Zen today. Welcome to part two of my chat with Lauren Miller. I hope you enjoyed part one. Let's jump right in to our discussion around the pace of life, patience, and expectations. And we operate at a pace we've never operated at before. People are expected to work 12-hour days. People are expected to be, you know, 100% available all the time. I have days where I'm like, forget cell phones. Let's just, let's go back in time to the 80s where it was stuck to the wall. And if someone didn't pick up, they weren't dead. They weren't, you know... It's a great point. We didn't have to send out a search party if you weren't responding to your texts. Like, it was no big deal. It was like, I sent you a letter and I heard back three months later. And that was fully acceptable, right? I phoned you. I left a message on your answering machine and you called me the next day. Like, it wasn't <laughs> so immediate. So, and speaking of instant gratification, like, it's at the point now we're just, no one has any patience, mm. right? Yep. And having to rebuild that is infuriating when you're obsessed with efficiency, right? Because if you're like, well, we can do it faster. It can happen faster. Let's do it better, better, faster, faster, better. And <laughs> we can go down that rabbit hole forever until yeah. it literally kills us. And I was just talking about this with somebody and it was, we we're saying, you know, even if you are more efficient, if I can do my work in five hours instead of like nine, because I'm just like really in it and I'm just really focused, I do not get rewarded for that by being like, oh, go spend the rest of your day, like as you wish. You just get more work. <laughs> yeah. And, but here's the question. Why not though? Like, why can't my super type A friends do a nine hour work day and five hours and check out? Like, because society tells us that we can. Yeah, I don't like it, right? Like, I, I don't think, like it either. <laughs> I think this is why we're seeing so many of the younger generation being like, screw that. I'm not doing nine to five. Uh-uh. I'm going to run my own show and then I can work whenever. It's like um, Timothy Ferris with his four hour work week. Have you read that one? That no. was really inspiring for me. And I was like, this is brilliant. You know, there's some caveats, obviously. But I thought, you know, you really setting boundaries around your space. Like I had just come from a place where I was working, you know, 10 hour days easily. And in a business that didn't belong to me, 
and then another six hours in a business that did belong to me, those, that work felt different. Mm. Right. And then when I worked for someone else, also, I was so hyper-functioning that by the end, I was doing the job of 10 people. And they end up going back and rejigging the whole setup to try and accommodate the workload. Well, yeah, I'm capable of running at that speed, but I shouldn't. Yeah. Right? Just because I can doesn't mean I should. Exactly. And, you know, in Nedra's book, um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, she talks about that, you know, part of your responsibility in the workforce is to say, that's too much work. I can't do that. I can't do that much work. But we're all rewarded for being hyper efficient and, and, you know, hyper functioning. So it's like, well, if you can't, she will until I kill her. It's no, it's true. It's like, well, if you can't, okay, we'll find someone who can. Yeah. And And so I think like we have to rethink the whole work scenario. It just, we have to come at it from another angle completely. Task driven, you know, check boxes. Sure. I don't think every job is about being in a place for nine hours. No, it shouldn't be. Right. And the people who like, yeah, I just want to be in a place for nine hours. Great. You have that. <laughs> right. I, I don't, for me, that makes me crazy because it's too much. And then I take on more work because I'm bored. Yeah. Right. And now I'm hyper-functioning and now I'm overachieving and now I'm doing too much and now I leave and they can't replace me because they have to replace me with eight people. This yeah. just happened to a client of mine this week. She left her job and they replaced her with two people. And she was well, like, wow. And I was like, no, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> we're, we're seeing that so much in medicine and particularly in family medicine. Um, like, like my mom's a GP and, and, you know, the thousands of patients, like most, most family doctors carry thousands of patients. Right. And part of the reason that they're having such a hard time retiring is that because new grads are like, uh, actually, I don't want to work like 12 hours a day and then go home and do all my paperwork. And then on the weekend have to come in and, you know, all of these things. And, and honestly, there, there is like a big, I mean, I'm not in that line of work, but when I hear it, I, I feel attacked. I'm like, what? I feel less than, or that my morals are like out of order because I don't want to like spend 80 hours a week working. Well, and, yeah, especially you know, the- when you're in the service of people. Mm. So I think this becomes, especially for people who are empathetic, like if compassion is one of your top values, that's what's led you to the work you're doing, right? And you're so compassionate and you're so empathetic and you're feeling and you want to help. You want to help, which is why you chose the profession, right? But the thing is, is not to your own detriment. And that's the part I think people don't get. It's sort of like, you know, but I'm a doctor. I vowed, I vowed to do this. Yes, cool. But not to the point where it kills you. Not to the point where you're so stressed out, you can't function. Not to the point where you go home and check out from the universe because you can't function yeah that's too much (laughs) and like sometimes we just need to hear it 
from somebody else because because if if it's just if it's only us it's like well it's just me there's something wrong with me yeah and how often have you told yourself as someone who's type a like just just rally I've got this just rally dig deep well I guess this will pass it's gonna be fine yeah everything is Um, temporary I can I can do this for short bursts but that's the thing short bursts yeah yes and then people start to expect it all of the time. You can't run a marathon at a sprint. That's not possible. Yeah. And then, then you're off on disability and there's no production. Right. And so your body will tell you. I mean, that's the one thing yeah. I learned from my mother getting Parkinson's. My mother like was so hyper-functioning and she had so many jobs and she was a therapist and she was, she ran the detox and she did workshops at universities and she, she was like everywhere all the time doing all the things. And then when she got diagnosed with Parkinson's, she was looking for all the answers and became her own research assistant, essentially, you know, trying to figure out like, how do we cure Parkinson's? And I was like, wow. I mean, it's really inspiring. And at the same time, it's like, do you think part of this nerve disease that can be, you know, made worse through oxidized stress mm. has something to do with the fact that you are not capable of stopping or slowing down? It, it, it's interesting that, that you say that uh, my mom recently was diagnosed with breast cancer and and similarly, like, extremely high functioning extremely productive like but the same thing you know she has become you know her her own advocate to the point of like needing to become an expert and and we've talked about this actually and I I was like you know mom like I I wonder how much of this knowledge seeking is an attempt to gain some control over a situation in which there's so much uncertainty because you have no control like when you're sick your body's gonna tell you I can't work like this anymore yeah right and which she said to me knowledge is power Lauren (laughs) oh man yeah so I know actually that you should say that because in my work I use this temperament theory and um it breaks it down into four different temperaments and one of them which tends to be the kind of people who go into medicine is their top value above everything else is knowledge and competence knowledge Mm -hmm. and competence and so that's what puts them in that perfectionism space too and also can get stuck in this analysis paralysis because it's like it has to be perfect. It has to be this. I have to know all of the information before I can move forward. That phrase is like so, so triggering for me. <laughs> um, like, I don't know if you saw my face. I was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when I played varsity basketball, um, that was like one of the things that I was told by, by coaching was like, Miller, like you got to shut your brain off like you just need to like stop thinking about it like it's just like paralysis by analysis and I I literally couldn't I was just like too in my head I was too worked up yeah and it's true like the more you try and control everything and then you can't do anything yeah and you know it's funny the more I meet people who are this temperament type too 
the more I'm like, okay, this is a huge get out of your own way situation. This is learned behavior. And I understand why you're doing it. Like I'm not, no one's met, <laughs> right? Um, and in fact, it's great when you meet these types of people to also lean into that skill because I am not that person. I am not an analysis paralysis person. <laughs> so if it's something really important and I know I can't do that, I don't really have patience to do the research. Now, in the past, would I have? 100%, I would have. But I have someone in my house who loves to do it. So why me? Use the resources. Right? Use the resources. Spread the joy. Let them help. Right? And so that just works out better. And there's a great story, actually. So we had to insulate our basement. And I was like, yeah, we're going to do spray foam. And my husband's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Like, why are you choosing that? I'm like, because it's the best value. It's the best. We gonna, we're going to call a guy because to do it ourselves, we're not experts. It's about 980 bucks. It's 1100 for them to come and do it. Like we're going to call the guy. He's going to come in. He's going to get her done. Well, hold on, Risha. I just, I want to just look into it. I'm like, oh God, here we go. Okay, cool. You look into it. Two weeks. He spent two weeks researching every different kind of insulation, what you can put into it, what makes more sense if you're near the water, because we're near the water. You don't want that insulation to get wet. What if it leaks? Like whatever. <laughs> research, research, research. He comes back. Okay. All right. So we're going to do spray foam insulation. I was like, yeah, I'm well aware. Right. <laughs> like that. You're was like, I was, I, do you you're, remember you're two when weeks I... behind me? <laughs> like, it's cool. And even this morning, he's like, I'm not fast enough for you. And I'm like, sometimes you're not. There's a happy medium in That's there. That's okay. I'm not asking you to be. I operate at this pace. Do I get frustrated and annoyed? Yeah, I do. But that's my problem, not yours. <laughs> okay. And that, oh, that's another thing that was life altering for me. Like in therapy one day, I was like, I don't know what, who, Lord knows what I was complaining about that day, but I will never forget when she said, like, Lauren, what you just told me is not, like, objectively is not problematic. Like, there is nothing wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with the way that, like, that you dress, that you do your hair. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. She's like, if somebody has a problem with that, that is their problem. And yeah. that is not your responsibility to manage their discomfort. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, not what a game changer. Right. Oh, I mean, my because gosh. I think when we're empathetic, the last thing our goal is, is to cause someone else discomfort or frustration or make them feel bad. Like that is the last thing I want on this planet. My intentions, never that. Right. Mm -hmm. But if yep. you take something about me, and now you're uncomfortable or you aren't happy or, and I'm just being a hundred percent myself and true to my values, then it's actually not my problem so much as yeah. it's yours. And then it it's, it goes back to the values. Like if, if I didn't know that like showing up in the world as my authentic self was the most important thing in the world to me like maybe that wouldn't be my hill to die on yeah but it is like yeah. that is like I need this to be happy in life yeah and 
and I actually I set boundaries with my parents so, so my hair used to be like to my shoulders and um I cut it when I graduated because I was like eh, new life phase like I've kind of yeah, always wondered something different what it, yeah and um I was so scared to tell my parents like I am like an adult I am a full doctor now <laughs> I'm like how am I gonna tell them that I'm gonna cut my hair so I finally tell them and I, I had just listened to the podcast. I can't remember if it was, it was either Glenn and Doyle or like Renee Brown. I can't remember which, but, and they talked about boundaries and they said, Oh, this, it was definitely Brene Brown. Cause it's my new mantra. It's like clear is kind. Unclear is unkind. Like let people know what is okay and let them know what's not. And like, yes. those are your boundaries. And so in like the, the days before I sent them a text, I was like, listen guys, uh, I'm cutting my hair. Um, I've thought about it a lot. I am excited about it. I know that you're not going to be excited about it, you know, and it's okay if you don't like it. It's okay if you wish that I wouldn't do it. It's okay if you bitch about it to your friends. Yeah. (laughs) It is not okay to talk about it in front of me. It is not okay to make me feel bad about it. Yeah. You can do that. You can't do that with me. And that was like, I think one of the first times in my life that I set like a really explicit and firm boundary. And it just like, oh my God, it felt so Doesn't it feel amazing? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. It really does. It's, oh, I didn't have to micromanage. I feel really lucky because I was raised by a therapist. There was a lot of (laughs) moments in my life where she would say, hold on this is one of those moments where you set a boundary and I'd be like, eh, right. And (laughs) she's like, this is one of those moments where you say, no, that's not okay. I do not accept that behavior. I will not stay for that. And I was like, I can do that. She's like a hundred percent. You can do that. Right. And so throughout life, I'd have these moments where I'm like, I don't know, like, this is what's happening. And she's like, Risha, I think you do know, right? And now I hear her voice all the time. It'll be like, okay, this is one of those moments where you set a boundary, right? And it was really, you know, it's, it takes um, practice. (laughs) Yes. And also, you know, Nedra Tawab in her book says this beautiful thing. You're not going to be able to set boundaries without guilt, but you can do it in a way where you don't feel overwhelming guilt. Like you can, because you're going to have that twang, that moment where you go, this is going to make them feel bad, but the results are so much worth it. Right. It's like, I've said to you before, I'm not comfortable having this conversation and it changed the dynamic of the relationship for the better, right? Or someone said something hurtful or upset to me and I say, that's unacceptable, what you just said. That's really manipulative. And they're like, oh. (laughs) I had a similar thing too recently. I had a friend, you know, meant well, like reach. I had been in like a, like very long-term relationship and, and, that had just ended and she reached out was like I'm so sorry like I hope you're doing well da 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 um and was like you know myself and like so and so just went through this and like if you really want to talk about it um and like this was somebody that they had met like pretty recently like it was like a few months not that it wasn't meaningful not no yeah no years 100%, long just trying to be helpful yeah yeah and I knew that I knew that 
and I didn't respond right away. And then like a half an hour later, they texted me and said, oh my gosh, like, I'm so sorry. Like, I just, I'm, I just heard like, it's, they're not the same situation. <laughs> like, I didn't mean it like that, you know? Yeah. And, and I thought about it and I was like, I could say, oh, well, like, don't worry about it, whatever. Um, but I have decided like one of the things that is important to me is apologizing when it is warranted and also like genuinely acknowledging when somebody else apologizes so I said like I was like I really appreciate you reaching out and I also really appreciate like you apologizing um it did hurt my feelings a bit that that you compared like our two situations um it felt a little bit invalidating for for me I know you didn't mean it that way yeah um and and I'm grateful that you are the kind of friend that I can be this honest with and like feel safe to do so. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like an, an older version or a younger version, I guess, of me would have just been like, oh yeah, no, whatever, it's fine, haha. Um, right. But I was like, no, like I owe the, this person like the truth. And I was like, yeah, that that did upset me. That did feel like an oversight. Um, and I really appreciate that you took the time to say, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I think we don't do that enough. Like we don't apologize enough and we also don't acknowledge apologies. Oh, accountability enough. is like one of those things. I will I will admit I came late to the accountability party, okay? I get it. I was probably <laughs> in my mid 20s before I realized it's not all about who's to blame. It really took me a long time to realize it. And I mean shockingly, honestly, I blame the fact that I'm an only child. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. And it's funny because as soon as I just dropped it, I actually had this great um, mentor that I worked with when I worked in IT. And she said to me, you know, the problem is, is that we spend so much time trying to figure out who's to blame. And we don't spend that time just fixing the problem. We, we don't have time for the blame game. We just need someone to take accountability and fix it. And I was like, fair, okay, I can do that. I can easily step into my leadership shoes and say, I got this. I don't know how it happened, but I got it. I'll take it on as mine. The problem is, I think, that once it's kind of addicting, especially (laughs) as someone who's type A, to be like, I'll take on that problem. I'll take on that problem and I'll save the world, right? (laughs) Hero complex. (laughs) Oh, it's so bad. And then we take on all the problems and we want to solve all the issues. And so for me, I came late to the party and I felt like I had to make up for the fact that I was always shirking the blame before. So Mm -hmm. I took all the blame. It was me. Blame me. I'll do it. I'll fix it. And so there was this like window of time in my late 20s where I was like, fine. Yeah, my problem. I'll take it. Fine. Yeah. Blame me. Me. And now I'm like, no, no, hold on. We don't even need to talk about blame anymore. I think it's not it's not productive, you know, and as type A, I love productivity. So let's not right so yeah let's just throw the whole blame thing out the window and just really embrace accountability what am I accountable for right am I I'm I'm responsible for my children I'm accountable for my behavior and how I show up in this world right everything else is not really my problem (laughs) it's true and like a very 
that's a lot to swallow when you want to save the world. And we really do want to save the world. Don't we, we do. all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was like shit's going to happen. Like pe- people are going to get hurt. It's inevitable. It's not about like, is this going to happen? It's how are we going to move through it? How are you going to work on it? Right. And I mean, that's the thing. Like when you talk about, you know, how do you, you know, reframe your thoughts? How do you have these moments where you're like, oh, I'm going to kill this person. They made me so angry. And then it's like, okay, but hold on. Stop, stop, stop. Why is it triggering you? How do you reframe this? Right. How do you think of it from a point of view as like, you know, if the first thought that goes through my mind is like, oh, he doesn't respect my time because, you know, I asked him to be ready for this time and he's ready five minutes late. Yeah. Okay. Or that's not even in his brain. Like maybe we think of that from a whole other perspective. How else can I flip that and think about it? Yeah. Right. The different perspectives. And I mean, I think you don't know what's going on in other people's heads. And I think it takes us to a place where we talk more about giving people grace, understanding, not expecting everyone to operate at this level, just because you operate at this level. That's not fair. Yeah. I was just, I was just in a leadership course, um, just through residency. And one of the topics was resilience um, and they just, there's like a side readings and you are in this like discussion board. And I like ended up like getting on my soapbox and I was like, I'm going to turn this into a blog. Um, and I did. And they give, they give all these like definitions of resilience. And um, um, one, like one thing that, that I realized that at least for me, that was missing, like the biggest piece of my, like what makes me resilient is like my self-compassion and is like my ability to give myself grace forgive uh, yourself because yeah and just give myself permission to get it wrong and yeah. you know like that's another oh, I'm just like a walking like Bre- Brene Brown is like not paying me to say these <laughs> um, but she says like I'm not here to be right I'm here to get it right yeah yeah and I mean I think that's part of it like you know I think it's easy when you naturally are good at things, when you pick stuff up really quickly, when you're resourceful, when you move quickly and are efficient and your brain just functions like that. Is it a benefit? Yes, but it also can be a like a big barrier between you and other people. You know, like... My mom used to say, oh, I don't suffer fools well. And I always loved that. It made me laugh because I was like, I can appreciate that. Like when you feel, when you have those moments, and I say this all the time, because one of our temperaments in our, in my toolbox, what they value more than anything, and this tends to be our super type A people. So listen up friends. Um, (laughs) What they value above everything else is responsibility and belonging above everything else responsibility and belonging and that responsibility feels like the weight of the whole world and so if you walk into the door saying everything is my responsibility I'm going to carry it all 
And then you're surrounded by people who their value is not responsibility and they don't care about belonging. Then you feel overwhelmed with this sense that you're surrounded by fools. <laughs> right? I'm surrounded yeah. by idiots. I'm surrounded by people who can't do this. So I have to hold it all up here. I have to hold it all. Yeah. That's exhausting, firstly. Secondly, it requires a shift in perspective. These people aren't fools. (laughs) (laughs) They're not. I love that it is our default. It's like, must be you. Can't be me. (laughs) Right? They're not fools. They just, they have a completely different worldview than you. Also, you're not the only one who values responsibility and belonging. There's so many of us. So please stop trying to carry the whole universe by yourself. There are yeah. lots of us out here. And if you need to take a rest, take a rest. Yeah. We need to glorify like rest, <laughs> you know, and people are like, Oh, like I'm so like people say like, Oh, I didn't do anything today. I'm so, I was so unproductive. I'm like, rest is productive. Yeah restoration yeah I mean rest is something I'm still learning I'm not gonna lie since it's been just over 10 years I'm so much better at it than I once was um but it took me a long time to figure out what was actually restorative for me Mm -hmm. which is different than other people like sometimes reorganizing a closet is restorative for me (laughs) it makes me feel good and it looks pretty and I feel like relaxed and calm afterwards and that does something for me yeah is it productive yeah but like it's also really relaxing and I like I think that like there's also flexibility in that. Like what's restorative for you is not necessarily what's restorative for me. And what's restorative for me today is not necessarily what's restorative for me tomorrow. So like exactly. I like when like I got up this morning, went to the gym for work, like feeling great, love it. Like that's kind of my thing. But like yesterday, I feel like shit. And yeah. I was like, you know what? Like today I need to sleep. Yeah. I need the extra sleep. And and like truly like everything does come back to self-compassion it's like yeah I am not a failure because I have changed my plan because of the way that my body is telling me it feels like that flexibility that adaptability is what allows me to stay well yeah it does not be like regimented I also call it I call it the um (laughs) the bubble bath conundrum (laughs) so you're like oh I'm so tired oh have a bubble bath like it's the first thing that comes out of people's mouths And I'm like, do you know what it's like when you put someone who's hyper-functioning in a bubble bath? I do. (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's relaxing for maybe eight minutes. No, that's generous. Right? And then you're like, (laughs) what can I do? What can I plan? How can I do this? Like, my brain goes on overdrive. And so it's funny because my husband will say something to me like, oh, are you re-watching a show? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, why are you doing that? I'm like, it's so relaxing. Like, I know what's going to (laughs) happen. It's really chill. It makes me feel all the feels because I'm highly empathetic in the way that I want to feel them. 
Mm -hmm. I've chosen this program specifically because of how it makes me feel. Right. And he's like, I don't know how you do that. I'm, it just, it helps make me feel warm and snuggly and it puts my brain in a space where I can shut it off because it's paying attention to that. Yeah. Right. That's self-care for me. Whereas some people might say like, no screen time. No, like you do you, man. There's no judgment coming from me. If you need to binge watch The Office to feel good. And again, it's that self-awareness piece. Like, yeah. Paying it that it, it like mindfulness. I mean, I personally don't subscribe to like I'm gonna sit and meditate for 20 minutes a day. Like, if you do, great. That works for you, great. Like for me, it's more like moment to moment, like being like conscious of like yeah. how I am feeling and noticing what comes up for me and like responding in the moment. Um, that's what it means to me. Yeah. And 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 then that dictates like what do I need? But again, if you're not paying attention, if you're not self-aware, you then might you're never need gonna that know ten minutes in the moment, right? Like you're in the morning. If you aren't, if you run at a freight train pace, you might need that ten minutes in the morning to check in with yourself, or at night, or whenever it is. I mean, it's funny how many people um, talk about, oh, I can't meditate; it's too hard. <laughs> right? And I'm like, it literally can happen anywhere at any time, and there's no wrong way to do it. And it's something I talk about a lot to my super type A clients because they're like, no, no, I couldn't. It's not for me. <laughs> okay, well, so throw on like a Deepak Chopra guided meditation for five minutes, five minutes, just so you spend five minutes paying attention to something other than the hamster wheel in your head. Yeah. Five minutes to put you in your body, to take some deep breaths, to activate that parasympathetic nerve system five minutes like it really doesn't take more than that and it's funny when I do it consistently the benefits I see versus when I'm not doing it at all the short wick I have (laughs) and like a lot of those the, the the way you're describing that and the things that that it does like that is how CrossFit makes me feel, which people will yeah. like have opinions about that. And that's fine. <laughs> but like, there's nowhere else like in the world that my brain shuts off right. the way that it does when I'm in the middle of workout. And this is it. Finding the thing that does that for you. Yeah. Finding that thing. I like swimming for that reason. I love to swim. I like the calmness of it. I like how it's gentle. I like how my body doesn't hurt when I do it. I like all of that. I like the water. I I like how I'm not sweating. I don't like getting sweaty. I don't want to be sweaty. <laughs> I want to be in water floating, gently, calm, right? I love that whole thing. Now, I also love that when you get sweaty in a pool, it's like an immediate bath. So like you don't feel gross um but (laughs) that's like a me thing that does it for me and I've done that to the point where like I've hurt myself like swam two hours of laps because I needed to process something and then came out and was like oh my god someone get me a burrito I'm starving (laughs) right but my sugars are low (laughs) but man did it ever help so knowing what what supports your mental health what helps you disconnect and process information just knowing those things right so i I have time for one more question and it's 
what is your concept of Zen and how do you find it? Because it kind of ties into this. It does. Okay. I have to, you know me and like, well, I feel like you know me now. And like yeah. I always have to, I have to be on my definitions because because I don't want to mess it up. But, um, oh my God, that felt very like type A of me. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but we all me, forgive you because we all understand. <laughs> you got to cut that out. <laughs> no it's too perfect it's too perfect (laughs) for me like when I think of of zen like it's it's feeling like tranquility which is a a word that I learned recently from Brene of course and and okay I'm so the definition the research that this is evidence-based folks um tranquility is associated with the absence of demand and no pressure to do anything Oh, doesn't that sound so nice? Yes. And then the, she distinguishes like the the difference between content and tranquil. Yeah. And it says with contentment, we often have the sense of having completed something. With tranquility, we relish the feeling of doing nothing. Nothing. And like Do you that... go to a place, like is there a place in your mind where you go where you feel that feeling? like yeah like like kind of what I said before for me it's legit yeah or for me it's it like just being in nature and like yeah I don't there's no cars or I'm like on my surfboard and I'm just like floating I'm like oh my god life is just so beautiful yeah I'm all you know, about just- water for me it's like always a water thing like we live um, in cottage country in Northern Ontario. It's gorgeous. We made that choice, that lifestyle choice. Mm-hmm. We were spending so much money every year going to the cottage. And right. we were like, what are we doing? So we had a big, long conversation about the kind of lifestyle we were looking for. And I said exactly this. And this was after my mom's Parkinson diagnosis. And I was a little mm-hmm. spun. And trying to figure out how do you slow yourself down when you live in the busiest city in Canada? You know, like we were at Young and Eglinton in Toronto and it was go, 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 high anxiety. And I was like, how do I change my entire environment? And the answer was you change your entire environment. So we left and we moved 90 minutes north and we live on the water. And I was adamant, like it has to be on the water and Uh, Real estate agents were like, you're bonkers. We're not finding the thing you want in your budget on the water, like not happening. And I was like, yes, we will. Yes, we will. Like I can, it's going to happen. And we did um, because I kept hitting refresh on realtor.ca like every three You were on it. Until it came up and I was like, there it is. That's my house. (laughs) Right. Message my real estate agent. I want to see this today. And she's like, okay, calm down. It literally <laughs> got posted like three minutes ago. I'm like, I know, right? I have to see it. And now I have this amazing advantage to find this tranquility, specifically for me in the summer months, where I can go out at lunch and sit in the middle of a lake and just be. Yeah. And no one's around. It's so quiet. And it's quiet up here in the winter too, but I am not a cold human. (laughs) So I got myself a hot tub for the backyard. So it's the same idea. I like go out in the winter, sit, and it's so 
quiet and no one needs anything from me for me that's like it's like the end of the workout and I'm laying on the floor and like my feet are on the wall so that like the blood could come back to my heart and I'm like intentionally like bringing my heart rate down and like my brain is not and it's it's kind of it's just again like different people yeah different strategies but like the same core it's the same concepts right and I think knowing what does that for you that's like more than half the battle I would say like that is like the the summary this like if I could like like give a one-liner of kind of everything that we've talked about it's like the most important thing is like knowing yourself like know who you are yeah know what's important to you what are your non-negotiables what are the boundaries that are hard and firm for you yeah what are the things that make you feel good like you need to know yourself and then you need to put yourself in an environment in which you are surrounded by people who either also bring that or who support you in achieving that yeah, you are a product of your environment. Yeah. Yeah. And so get clear about who you are and then be intentional with who you and what you surround yourself with. Yeah, hundred percent. That's a great, that's a great point. That's a great point. I'm so glad you joined me today, Lauren. Honestly, it's been a real gift. And <laughs> I I look forward to being able to chat again in the future. I don't know how or why or for what <laughs> purpose, but we're gonna make it happen because you're just lovely. And I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I know. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I really have appreciated your insights here today. And I think it's something that the audience is really going to appreciate too, because it's so relatable. Like we're, we're all going through it. We've, we're all in different stages at different points, but the stress, the stress is the same stress. Yeah. Right. So finding a way finding a way even as our super type a selves towards that space of zen finding our direction that's that's the whole thing it's the journey not the destination right trust the process trust the process so how many more cliches <laughs> can we throw in at the end but anyways it's good. we've got this we've got this <laughs> But yeah, I really appreciate you joining me and thank you so much for being my first guest on the podcast. And uh, it's my honor, truly. Thank you so much for having me. I really hope to connect again soon. Yes, me as well. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for listening. Like and subscribe to our channel wherever you listen to podcasts. Visit www.yorkmotivational.com for more information on my super type A attempt at being Zen, the coaching program, lead without permission, or visit our contact page to reach out to Risha. Wishing you all continued balance and fulfillment on your road to Zen.